Listen to the Vibes. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Listen to the Vibes. And I'm very happy to welcome Christoph Morrow here. And we're going to get to know him and what he does. And I'm going to give a little warning before we get started. He does have Tourette's, but that doesn't bother me at all. So hopefully it doesn't bother you. But let's kick this off right, man. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Oh, wow. Okay, well, uh, I'm you and I... Actually, as I was really excited when I got into this because I saw that you were from uh, Texas uh, and you had the Whataburger sign. I grew, I mean, I grew up eating Whataburger. Uh, I was I was born in Houston, raised in Texas, went to the military. Uh, I was a Navy corpsman, which is um, like a medic for the Marines and for the people that don't know. Uh, generally, that's what they do. I was a quad zero corpsman, which meant that I worked in a hospital setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, after about a year and a half, uh, I had to leave because I was I had Tourette's. I didn't know that's what it was. Uh, and then I, I moved around a lot uh, from Louisiana, Texas, New York, Oklahoma, a bunch of other places, and um, I became a writer. Uh, I moved back to Texas, and I became a writer uh, and working as a journalist at a newspaper. Um, I won some awards there, and then uh, I moved from there to uh, to Canada. Uh, with uh, yeah, so now I'm a permanent resident of Canada. Uh, you're a hoser now. yeah at least they're they're really lovely up here though the people are nice did the people at the hospital say anything about you having Tourette's or they just which hospital like in oh when I was in the the... Navy Mm -hmm. oh yeah that's the thing uh whenever I uh whenever it happened I was already (laughs) I was already working like in meds I was go I was at where I was gonna be Uh, you know, I was at the hospital I was going to be at. So I, uh, I collapsed and I, I started having what, what looked to be seizures mm. and that was its first manifest. Um, I, I felt, uh, it felt really similar to, uh, what would later be described to me, uh, explained to me as a seizure seizures that, uh, feel, they, they feel kind of the same. There's an aura that there's something wrong and I had the same sensation. And then, uh, and then they did a spinal tap to find if I had a brain infection, turns out I did not. Um, and then they were bewildered. They didn't know what uh, was happening, but they knew that it was recurring and that I couldn't control it and that I wasn't deployable anymore. I left. So that's why I left. Um, and then it manifested uh, episodically between 19 and t- the ages 19 and 26. And uh, by the time by the time I got to I was 25, though, it, it became somewhat regular and um I started developing regular ticks every day that I would do every day. Um, and it's, it, it's gotten worse and worse and worse since then. Uh, so like, I can't really use my right hand anymore to do anything with, cause I can't grab things cause I injured it so many times. I punch things, uh, I punch things, uh, really hard, even though, and that's the thing, my hand might be bleeding. I might have like a giant, uh, wound across the back of my hand. I'll still punch something. Oh, because man. I can't, I, you know, that's, I, I actually, yeah. So, uh, I, my knuckles on this hand are chronically swollen. And when I went to the, I, I have to go to the hospital like once a week, I went to the hospital, um, I went to the hospital recently and, uh, was discussing with the doctor. I asked him, I said, I, my knuckles are quite swollen and I keep getting x-rays and they say my, my bones, they're not break. There's no major breaks. And I said, the only way that that's possible, given how like the violence in which like I, I, the speed and strength in which I'm hitting things, there's, uh, and the, uh, and how often it happens, there's no way unless there's something else happening. 
And the doctor explained it to me. There's something called boxer fractures. Yeah. And I, I mean, all I have to say is that, and you kind of get it. There's micro fractures all over my bone in the bones of my hand. And so like it, my, the bones of my hand are quite sturdy now. <laughs> this point. Uh, they seem sturdy, but they're quite inflamed and tender all the time. Uh, but they don't break. So, um, but, uh, and major breaks anyway. Yeah. So was your Tourette's the main reason why you wanted to get into writing? I got into writing uh, because in my life, it's the only thing I've ever done that felt effortless, uh, that, I not, that I excelled at so far beyond my peers. Um, uh, so like, it, was, it, was, it was actually kind of problematic when I was a kid because you'd write papers and you have to do peer reviews. And I give my, peer, my paper to like, another classmate and they would just give it back to me without having done anything to it. Swear to God, it drove me nuts. It drove me nuts. Um, so, uh, but I was 13 years old and um, it's, this is also like sort of cemented what I joined the military for myself uh, and being a corpsman. Um, we were given the solemn assignment and, and tasked to, to write a letter to the soldiers that were serving in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so um, I did, I, I, I took it very seriously. And, uh, and I, tried, I tried to write something that I thought would be profound and would be uh, would be inspiring for like someone that's dealing with something. I just, I just knew that someone was that potentially someone could be hurting and they felt like they were far from the planet they grew up on, you know? And, and so I, I, and I remember as I was doing it, it felt like a music that I had never felt before in my life. And uh, it was the most extraordinary experience. And uh, I didn't think anything of it, but I know that I enjoyed it. Several hours later at lunch, I was uh, sworn by my classmates that telling me that the teacher had been reading it to every class and that she was going to publish it in the newspaper. Um, and I was 13. I didn't have any training. I had no I had I didn't I didn't regularly write anyway. I actually never did. Um, so uh, it was uh, yeah, it was a surprise. And then uh, so it, to me, it's like a, it's an obsession because I. I, uh, I have a great affection for words, um, and I think that they are truly the only magic humans have ever created. Like, it's so, it's, it's to imagine that we, we created something so that we could understand one another and they, we could be understood, you know, and that's, I think that's beautiful. What kind of writing do you like to do? I, I like to do, uh, I like to do fiction, uh, chiefly, um, because it gives you the most license, uh, uh, and you're not, you are not uh, arrested to reality uh, in the same way. Uh, and you know, and you're not either. If you do uh, like contemporary, like uh, middle of the road kind of fiction where there's no magic and that sort of thing, because psychology, uh, like human psychology can be quite uh, absurd. You know what I mean? Uh, if you've ever read like crime and punishment. Uh, yeah. And um, anyway, so yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, my most uh, extravagant reading, I guess, was uh, The Good Earth. I don't know if you Ooh, read Pearl that. Ooh, Book. Yes, I love that book. There was something I, about that story. I have a first edition of it. Do you really? Yeah. <clears throat> I purposely went to the bookstore to find that one day. I just remember reading it back in high school, and I loved mm -hmm. it so much. Wow. Yeah, it takes you to another place, man. Mm -hmm. She's a brilliant writer. Yeah, she really is. So in yeah. your in your writing, do you like 
have morals or it's just uh oh wow yeah i'll give you an example of something i wrote recently um because a lot of people uh obviously have a conflict with the notion of uh passing away of dying at the end of their life um but i i wrote so that without death new life would be simply addition without making us more mm-hmm. and um I, I just like that i mean that describes what peace you must come to uh before the end of your life because that's the way it is was this based on your own philosophy or do you do research oh, yeah. on it oh absolutely um and i there's so many things uh if i if i if i had to do like one liners uh complexities for example like com- i I, talk, I think about uh uh it's there's all kinds of elements about um like political stuff and uh, but i don't there's things that I try I don't like to discuss and that's racism and sexism because I feel like those are like kind of impossible to tamper, mm. you know, like it can't, they, without cheapening the, the suffering that people go through, like either gender or any race, it's not like some, every, someone's going to feel misrepresented. Right. So I just don't have it in there at all. And I like Tolkien's approach. You know, I, I love, uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Dickens. I think Dickens is, his human study and his poetry and his, his prose is much better than Tolkien's, but Tolkien's is a much more charming storyteller. Tol- yeah. Tolkien's a much more, I love Tolkien much more uh, in that sense. And his characters also, um, they describe the better parts of us, you know, and, and I, I feel like uh, I wanted to discuss virtues and not vices. I wanted to, I just, I just feel like a lot of people, there's like just a lot of, just negative stuff and like stuff to be upset about. And I'd like to think like, I'd like to restore, like, what are we doing this for? We did because we love the people that we love and we want good things for them. Oh yeah. Well, the, to the casual reader of Tolkien, I don't think they realize how religious that man was. And he puts a lot of his beliefs into the characters Mm -hmm. and the stories. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he, he was actually really dear friends with C.S. Lewis, uh, who was a who was a very devout Christian, uh, you know. So, um, and uh, yeah, I know that Tolkien spent like twenty years devising the Lord of the Rings, though, or something before he actually wrote it. I don't know something like that. <laughs> you know, I I actually wrote the first draft of, of the Second Son, my book. Uh, it's an epic fantasy, mm-hmm. um, just like uh, it, it it aims to be like if you could. Uh, like split the difference between Tolkien, uh, Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones, split the difference between those two. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, and it's structured like Game of Thrones. Like you've seen, if you've ever seen the show or read the books, the first chapter or the first episode, the first chapter is about Ned Stark or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And then the, in the, in the show, it is the first episode. That's all about him too. The second episode is about a different, I think it's somebody else across the world. And then the third episode, somebody else. I did that too. The first three chapters are all different parts of the world. And then they come back around, it circles back around. Um, and they're all, those three stories are then followed throughout the rest of the book. Um, and um, they all, they're all, they, they have a great deal to do with each other, but they don't directly interact yet. And uh, like, they're not even, yeah, they, they just don't know yet. But uh, yeah. Well, I knew when I read your message, mind you, we met on this app called Podmatch. Mm-hmm. Where it puts guests and and podcast hosts together, and 
I mean, right off the bat, it wasn't, hey, can I be on your show? You said something about how you you like the way I approached things. I, I don't remember exactly, but I, I remember saying, was this a, I just like your show or I want to be on your show? So then I asked you, did you want to be on there? It, it was like an epic poem. My answer I got, I'm going, well, I don't know if this was a yes but <laughs> i'm gonna say my, I'm, looking, I'm looking for it i'm trying to, I, yeah that was fun i loved it man i tell you i don't i think i feel like you like you've got a show and you probably deal with a lot of people writing you thinking that they can it, it's just uh i just i just want people to know that when i'm trying to interact with them i'm putting a great deal of effort to be personable and actually understand who they are before i say something uh, before I offer myself as a guest, I want them to understand like I have given it some consideration, and I feel like I'm, I my my story and, and uh, is relevant to like your mission. Well, I knew I wanted you on my show, <laughs> just just by the messages alone. I was like, <laughs> I gotta have this guy on. I've been waiting for this ever since. <laughs> I'm too. I'm too. I was really excited. I, I actually, yeah. So I went to bed early last night for this interview. <laughs> Uh, and it wasn't honored. and it wasn't until 11 y'all it wasn't until 11 my time and i still went to bed early <laughs> i want to be plenty awake when i got here so why do you like to be a guest on a podcast i mostly it's mostly to uh to highlight what work i've done and also uh i i think it's an extension of my work as a writer john steinbeck his the writer of the grapes of wrath east of eden uh of mice and men Tortilla Flat, I can go on. He uh, he said his whole mission as a writer is to help people understand one another. Um, I think that's something that a lot of American writers uh, find really romantic, um, maybe more so than other, because our we have a multicultural society here. And so like trying to understand one another is just a thing that we do amongst ourselves. So um, it's just, uh, you think about Mark Twain's, uh, work too, in much the same way. Uh, I just think it's beautiful, uh, to try to, um, if you have something thoughtful to say and you hope to impart some good with it, uh, I've worked thousands of hours on my book. So coming onto a show and getting to talk to lovely hosts and who are curious and intelligent and, uh, have the resources to, and the audience. Oh, but you came on my I, show anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to throw that in there. Oh, wow. <laughs> when I read, I want to be able to imagine in my mind that I'm either the character or I'm close to the character and I'm mm -hmm. seeing the events going on. I like that thought of uh, you know, this is happening to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, is that your approach? That, that to you it? have? Oh, honestly, let me tell you something. Uh, as a writer, um, and if you are a writer and you're listening to this, the most important quality to any story, to any story that you write, are the characters. There is nothing more important in the. In the it doesn't matter what it is, and and this is proven by that movie, every, everything, everywhere, all at once. They had that. That movie is. I don't know if you've seen it, but the some of the 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 context that's happening around the main character is like is fluid it doesn't it, it doesn't remain the same and the characters all change uh really dramatically and the scenes and it's just a, a lot of chaos 
but the 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 planet that every all the events are orbiting are the characters there uh, is their evolution uh, growth uh, emotionally and uh, you know so it's not it does not nothing else in your story matters except the story uh, except the characters nothing else uh, everything else is secondary well when I'm reading I mean I I'll read uh, just about anything but I won't enjoy it unless I am feeling the emotions that I believe that the character is feeling. Mm-hmm. So I, and I don't know, maybe it's because I'm getting more sentimental in my old age, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're getting, you're getting old too. huh? Yeah. And it is. Yeah. Even in a movie, I, I want to feel emotions. Other than that, I'm, I'm kind of bored and I'm playing with my phone, you know? Mm-hmm. People that, that care, uh, a lot of writers really neglect that. Yeah. Um, because they don't make the conflicts uh, plausible or uh, yeah, or they, or they just make it's incomplete. And so there's not, there's not the gap between the audience and the solution. It's just because they don't care, you know, um, that humans care about other humans. Yeah. Just, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Now, has Tourette's been the biggest obstacle you've had to overcome in your life? I, I hmm. um, well, hmm. I think uh, in terms of in, if you were to uh, all of my the qualities of my personality and my ability to resist despair, uh, yeah, Tourette's is in ter- all encompassing. It definitely is the most destructive to everything. Um, and, but the, the, probably the most uh, deeply destructive thing to my actual life though, was, uh, was having being, uh, is alcoholism. Mm. Um, is I drank, I was, I probably drank really heavily for about five years. No, well actually about three years, but, uh, but it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. So that was, that was a real struggle. And then growing up, um, I have really, uh, a really violent dad who was an alcoholic and, uh, yeah, and so um, I haven't spoken to him in years. Um, uh, and uh, but he, uh, yeah, that's, so that so that, and that went on until I was fifteen. Until I got big enough, he wouldn't mess with me anymore. Um, but then, uh, yeah, so it's just I think that coming to terms with that, yeah, was um, Tourette's is probably yeah, you're right, is the most. I'm comedian David Race in Los Angeles. I host a celebrity-filled paranormal talk show like no other. Monstrosity has great guests answering weird questions. You won't believe the combo of celebrities and paranormal experts who've been on this show. I guarantee you'll like Monstrosity, or you get your time back. Go to monstrositypodcast.com right now and take a look. When it comes to the alcoholism and your father, mm-hmm. I mean, I, my father wasn't an alcoholic, but he wasn't exactly the uh, the most passionate person in the world. And I tried so hard not to be like him. Mm-hmm. But in so many ways, I found myself being like him. Did you have that? Oh, man, I think that uh, I we are, I think we project that, right? Like we, we know, um, I think it's because we might do 
we might say a thing angry in the same way, a certain word in the same way, and that and that association makes you think I'm just like this person. Um, but it's not really like that. You, are, what are you upset about? Is the difference right? Right. Um, and so the people that are emotionally unreasonable and uh, are are sadists in that sense, uh, they don't. That doesn't bother. They, they can get upset at everything. But if you know, if someone with some reason and sense, uh, yeah, it's just not. Yeah, they're mutually exclusive. Yeah. I think the hardest part was finding that good balance because there was a, a point where I was trying so hard not to be like him that I was letting people walk all over me. I like couldn't find that happy middle. Hmm. You know what I mean? I, I kind of let you go. You're going to have to talk more because let me tell you something. <laughs> like I'm, I'm like in this right now, what you're describing is how I feel about my life. So, and, and you're, you're a little bit older than me. So maybe you have something to share about this and tell me how to get through this. Well, and man, I hate to make this about me, but but it's about me too. <laughs> yeah, if it's gonna if it's gonna help, I know there's probably somebody else that can relate to this. Mm-hmm. But you know, my dad, he was never self aware of the things that he did. Mm. And mm. then when I finally became self aware, and it's like, man, I am doing the exact same things that he is. I didn't want to be like that. Mm-hmm. So I took it in the extreme, the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. And then I, I just let people walk all over me. I, I avoided conflicts. You can tell in your eyes, you have a softness. Yeah. It, there, there's a, uh, there's a, there's a, a quote by Oscar Wilde. He said, after a certain age, every man has the face he deserves. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but, but, um, as I was saying, uh, I took that to the wrong extreme to where I was letting everybody walk all over me. And I'm mm-hmm. still one that I avoid conflicts. I would rather say I'm wrong and, and and let you win the argument right off the bat instead of getting in, into that. And my wife hates that. She's like, no, you need to learn to stand up for yourself sometimes. And, uh-huh. you know, I and I I do. But mm-hmm. I just I hate fighting. I do. Yeah. Where are you? Are you the youngest? I was the oldest. Uh, my you were the oldest. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, you would think. That's fun. I just wow. I I is that a I normal? Because uh, I think there is something that whole birth order thing. You know, people being born like the oldest. Because like there's I just seen lots of like all the older siblings that I know. Like the oldest ones, they kind of act kind of similar in a weird in a strange way all the middle kids are the negotiators right Mm -hmm. and then the the youngest ones they got to do whatever they wanted (laughs) and nobody cared um and so they're kind of wild and fun uh and it's yeah that's just like consistent that's just consistent um i think it was a little different in our household Uh, my dad we didn't get to spend a lot of time with him because he always wanted to work Mm-hmm. He didn't want to spend time with the family and my mom. What did he do? He was an air conditioning mechanic. And he's... Oh, my dad was a mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> he started his own business and yep. he was the only real uh, employee but, of the yeah. business other than okay. his driver. Mm-hmm. But he, uh, he 
just liked working more than he did spending time with the family. Mm-hmm. And there was a seven year difference between me and my brother. And wow. Seven years. Mm-hmm. I don't my, even know what that would yield. Like what kind of relationship that would yield? Like, well, you know, what, you, what was you like, in the beginning, you know, your little brother, he's a baby, you know, you just want to spend all your time with them. You love on them. And then when they get older and they want to spend time with you, then you're like, no, I want to spend time with my friends. Leave me alone. <laughs> that kind of thing. I have a girl coming over. <laughs> yeah, I have a date. <laughs> yeah. I've been, I've been the one to make that. Hey, <laughs> I'm doing something right now, bro. I have a little brother uh, who is very, very dear to me. Um, my first book is actually dedicated to him. Uh, yeah. Well, um, I, my brother, uh, he ended his own life. Um, oh my God. Yeah. And that, that really shook me. And I think my already alcoholic life just spiraled even worse out of control after that. And the drugs got worse and, uh, ruined my first marriage and just about killed me and i just don't i don't want to be that person anymore no well you're not very i feel like i mean it's one of those things that we i like as like we have to guard ourselves Mm -hmm. but i mean i'm so sorry about your brother well and that was right after my dad ended his life (laughs) <laughs> oh my god you know my mom is, she doesn't show a lot of emotion mm-hmm. and she kind of kind of checked out you know it's, it's just, just you and her now right yeah just me and her now oh. and she really didn't care what i did i just ran off and did whatever i wanted to and you know started to hanging around with the older kids and older folks mm-hmm. and got into the drinking at, and drugs at 12. And it just got into wow. to be a really bad habit. First, it was just to fit in and then it got to be a habit. What is it about 12 that just opens up a world of, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. I wonder if I it's that. because you're fixing to be a teenager. I mean, you're not, yeah. you're not an adult yet, but you're not a little kid anymore. I think it has more to do maybe with other people that they include you because you're older. Uh, maybe that's why. Uh, I don't know because you, you hear that. Uh, yeah, but to me nowadays, alcohol. I drink and uh, I don't. I don't drink. Uh, obviously, I haven't had a drink in uh, like six years or seven years. Or something. Um, but I can go into a liquor store. I can be around alcohol. It doesn't bother me. Um, and like when I go into a liquor store, it's like I'm going into a a lingerie store because I don't wear lingerie. I'm not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be like I just go in there and I look around the liquor bottles like oh this is uh, you know but it's not for me <laughs> it's not for me I don't want it I'm okay without it um so yeah it's uh, <laughs> yeah it doesn't bother me anymore either it's surprising I thought that it was gonna be really hard for me to stay away from it but when I finally decided that was it I was mm-hmm. done I was mm-hmm. done yeah does the smell make you sick yeah the thought yeah, of drinking me makes me sick. Yeah, the sort of, yep, me too. It makes me, it literally makes me sick. Yeah. yeah. It's quite unpleasant. Yeah. It's amazing how rampant alcoholism is in this country, though, man. Nearly mm-hmm. everybody that I've talked to 
that's uh, you know along the lines of a life coach or something they've been there and gone through it and i i think because you go through that and you you don't want other people to go through it so you put yourself out there as like hey this is what i went through i don't want you to do that as well man you, you said it yourself people i think generally care about other people even if they yeah. don't show it yeah they do. it's I if I and I could reinforce that I think I can I can substantiate that too like the idea that people support each other it, within a community like your you are like your welfare is uh, is contingent on other people's welfare too oftentimes uh, they they talk about how the life of a person uh, in uh, in total isolation is like twenty something years shorter than someone who is living in a community and has a family. 20 something years that's i mean uh, that's not that's nothing to sneeze at um so yeah i i just can't imagine not having my family around mm -hmm. and when mm -hmm. when i got remarried my wife got a huge family and i love going to their functions because i just love that interaction we don't really have that in my family Especially after my grandparents passed away, y'all are a lot healthier with that with that side, huh? They they interact a lot more in a lot more healthy way, huh? Oh yeah, that's what it is. That's what it is. I mean, people think uh, oftentimes that uh, their their loved ones, the people around them, can suffer these minor injuries of offense, right? Like if you a snappy comment, but you do that every day, maybe once or twice a day, that's your reputation in, your, in their head. You know, like you can't like, so it's really, it, it, it's really about humbling yourself and accepting like, uh, that you are going to make mistakes. Um, and you need to like, they need to understand that too, you know? Cause oftentimes this is, I mean, uh, each of us now, a lot of us are discovering that we have mental illness of some kind, uh, and it makes perfect sense. Uh, that's consistent with crazy world. Right. So, um, it's just, it's just, uh, I think a lot of people are searching in that sense, like trying to find a way to to take care of themselves and to better themselves while also trying to maintain some kind of semblance of a social life, uh, uh, some affection with other people because they know how important it is. Um, but those who can't manage their emotions, it's, it's, uh, it's impossible. It's impossible for them to feel comfortable, I think. Yeah. All, forever because about it's just yeah <clears throat> well when it comes to the emotions and people feeling for you you know i i have a disease in my spine where my okay. my bones are deteriorating and you know i can't do a lot of things that i used to do and you know i i, I like that people care it's just when it's constantly are you okay are you okay yeah that's what drives me nuts. Am, Can I ask you something? Like, whatever hmm. you, I want to ask you something about this because it, it's, it's relevant to this. What you say. If you're doing something, like if it, if you if you needed help, how often have you refused? How often do you refuse help because you know that people are offering it? But it's one of those things where it's like you can't just they can't just help you all the time, right? You know, I I accept help, but I'm uncomfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And there, I'd say I probably accept it about 60% of the time. 
Yeah. It's because I think it's because as humans, we know that we're incurring a kind of debt to that person. Yeah. Maybe. Even if it's even if it's product of, of a disability, uh, they are not going to be able to make their thoughts distinct in that sense from one another, like their their resentment uh, and also their sense, the logic that says they that this person just needs help. I for ex I for ex I can't use my hand, my right hand, right? So I tr trying to open a can with a can opener. Mm -hmm. Even that is like really hard for me. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, and I have roommates now, uh, and I and I ask them, you know, and they ask me like if I need help doing this or that. Um, and there are things like chores that I certain chores I can't do. So now I feel like I have to compensate for that, on top of having to deal with having this condition, and every I mean everything else. It's just a lot. It's a lot. And I, you know what I found, Kyle? I want to tell you that the people that who seem to be the least sympathetic are the people that have been through it. Sometimes, isn't that funny? Yeah. You ever come to that with alcoholism too? I feel that I've seen that before. Oh, definitely. They don't understand where you come from. Well, yeah. <laughs> Because they feel like they're because they have the what they think is the same experience. Um, well, I did it. Why can't you do it? You know, right. like so. I I have a yeah. I have to battle with that whenever I uh, whenever I think about people with addiction like addiction problems, and uh, I have to try to like even though I succeeded or you know at least for the last seven years I've succeeded in not drinking. Uh, I might fail eventually, right? And I, I don't know. I just I, I worry that uh, I don't want to be part of the uh, group of people that doesn't support others going through addiction. Well, I mean, I've fallen off the wagon myself a few times, mm -hmm. but I've gotten to that point now where I don't I don't even want to think about it. It just makes me physically ill to to look look at it, smell it. Or the thought of the taste of it. Yeah. But yeah. the smell and the taste. Yeah. The thought of the smell and taste. The smell will do it. Yeah. But so. back to what I was saying before, you know, mm. if I have to, like, if I'm going out in public and there's going to be a lot of walking going on, well, oh, then yeah. I, I have to use my wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I don't mind if you acknowledge the fact that I'm in a wheelchair. It's just I get the extreme of either people are so overly, uh, what's the word I'm yeah, looking for? Yeah, concerned. They, They're concerned. A little yeah. too overly attentive concerned with and it. And attentive. Right. Or <laughs> they ignore me altogether. Do you go through that too? Um, you know what? I, yes, sometimes. Uh, but most, most of the time I actually, people interact with me when I have ticks, they think I'm talking to them. Uh, I have a, like, if you've ever seen the movie Joker with Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, yeah. Uh, he has Tourette's. Hmm. That's what Tourette's is. That's it. That's what he has. If you see the card that he has in the beginning, he says, I have a neurological disorder. He doesn't name it, but it's Tourette's. Oh. I do the, I do the laugh that he does. Like, <laughs> I do that. I can't, I can't help it, but I do it. I look insane. I know. But, I don't know. I just want to be treated like everybody else. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's address the elephant in the room. Yeah. I have to use a cane or I have to use a wheelchair. Right. Just treat me like you would any anybody else. Yeah. 
it's it's so it's an interesting kind of request, right? Because you're you're hoping to like remove all of the emotion from it that they're experiencing. You're saying just look at the like logically think about what's going on. I'm just trying to be here to eat my food and chill. I don't want to do anything. <laughs> you know, like I I just you know what I'm I understand what you mean. You don't want that the light of recognition mm -hmm. or the light of pity. Exactly. Uh, I, I just I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what that feels. It drives me crazy. I have the whole thing with a wheelchair too. I started doing a tick where I slammed my foot. On, I would stomp my foot on the ground over and over and over again oh, to the point where like I I couldn't stand up anymore. I had to sit down. And then I realized, wait, if I wanted to go somewhere, I would actually have to use a wheelchair or something because I can't stand up right now. Because I'll hurt myself. I'll, I'll, I'm going to break something in my foot or my ankle because um, it, it was throbbing and it was swollen and it really hurt. And I just I can't stop. I cannot stop. I mean, it's it is the closest thing to torture without being torture that I can that I know of. How many books have you written? Well, if you technically. Technically, it's three. Mm -hmm. um, one of them is a kid's book that I wrote for a, uh, my I had a landlord who was really uh, very lovely in, in Cranbrook. Uh, and uh, we it was like we we lit we I was in a mother in law. Like, so our houses were attached. We shared a wall, one wall. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I had a whole unit on my side and we shared. So anyway, um, I gave them a um, I, I wrote him a kid's book about earning friendship. Uh, it was a Christmas. It was a Christmas book about earning friendship, uh, and it's a it's it's actually quite cute. A little boy finds a dinosaur egg. The dinosaur egg hatches, and uh, the mom shows up and thought she thought all of the babies had her babies had died, and it, it turns out that one did live. And so she takes the baby back, and the little boy is sad. He wants to play with the dinosaur, but she's not gonna let him because he she doesn't want to lose her baby because he's he might be sick, he might be weak, whatever. So he does a he does something very thoughtful. He he knits her a sweater. He knits them a he knits them sweaters so that they stay warm. And he does some other stuff and he brings it to them. Uh, and then um, in the end, it says and uh, something about how the best thing was that he ended up making two friends that day. And it's you know yeah it's really I mean it's just about like you you appeal to the people that you love and the and the people that they love and that love them yeah. Uh, and my other book my the book that I have actually. Uh, I've put a great deal of thousands of hours of work into is the second son. And um, my initial plan, it's two volumes so far. The first volume I was going to give away for free. I thought I was going to be able to do that. Turns out I can't. Uh, uh, so, and I was going to have uh, volume two you could purchase. Uh, and that would uh, incentivize you to, if you wanted to support me, that's the way you could do it. Uh, but Amazon doesn't structure their stuff that way. So I had to, uh, so the hardcover, if you buy the hardcover, that's the only, the, the, the paperback and the Kindle version don't, uh, are, I, I made them as inexpensive as possible <laughs> because I felt, I, I felt like I, what I, what I hoped to achieve was some kind of cultural contribution. And so I don't like the, the notion that there's a, something of a price tag between, you know, if someone wants to purchase your books, do you have a website? I mean, uh, you could just, if you just put my name into any kind of search engine, mm -hmm. uh, it's going to pop up with everything. Uh, I have it, uh, I have all my social medias on, under the Christoph Morrow, um, as it's spelled there. Just social media? 
Yeah, social media and uh, Amazon. You go to Amazon.com uh, and you can type in uh, Christoph Morrow and my book's going to come up. Well, I'll put those links in the description so people can find you pretty easily. Yeah, I'm on TikTok and Instagram mainly, though. Those are the two I do. Thank you so much for coming on the show, brother. It was really nice, Kyle. I, I, I hope to see you again soon. Oh, man, you're going to come back on my show. <laughs> thank you. I also want to thank all you folks out there. If you are new to the channel, I hope you'll come back. Hit that subscribe button. And for my regulars, you guys are awesome because you make it possible for me to do this. Until the next one, everyone, please take care. Be kind to one another. God bless and peace. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Listen to the Vibes. You can catch us on Buzzsprout or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook at The Vibes Broadcast Network.